Hey, this is Tom Church with Role Playing Public Radio. Doing it like we have an interview segment going on here with a writer upon whom I greatly enjoy. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Deborah. I'm Deborah Davitt. <laughs> yes, and uh, you may I, you may recall from one of our earlier episodes, but I gave some of her work a shout out in uh, one of our last episodes. Oh yes, yes indeed. It was this was during the fanfic days. <laughs> The ancient, the ancient past, as it were. It's been a while, yes. So, uh, anyway, I thought I would first, you know, just give you a little back, a little backstory about one day I was happening just going about fanfic.net, reading uh, fan fiction. Some of it enjoyable, others it's good for a train wreck. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen, you've seen that both types before yourself. Uh, a few, yes. But then I happened upon this gem uh, for a Mass Effect fan fiction, uh, Spirit of Redemption, written by uh, you know, some someone who I'm sure is related to something we're talking about. Hmm, perhaps. Oh, it was you. Oh, perhaps that might have been the case, yes. So um, I, I started following this story, and uh, holy crap, that... Like on fanfic.net, that was some amazing writing. Thank I you. I have to say, I really do appreciate that. Yeah, and it's that god that turned into what a million plus words worth of stuff. Three point five million, actually, but who's counting? <laughs> it's like uh, it's just three more than three times what you were saying. God, no, I, actually, people always ask me how many words and uh, th- things are, and I actually don't count. To be perfectly honest, I, I the, the story is the story. So when people told me it surpassed this amount on on fanfic.net, I'm like. I really? How do I even go look at that? Oh, it's there. Okay, well, that that's cool. Yeah. Well, as you know, mice teachers, word count was very important. Like, I want you to write me a thousand thousand uh, word report, no more, no less. That's because, like, as a former teacher, you really don't want to read more than a thousand words. Sometimes, <laughs> so sometimes those thousand words can be very painful. Yeah, uh, I as a as a fanfic reader, I'm very well aware of that. <laughs> There's some like, what am I doing? Why are you making me grade this? I hate you. Go away. Where's my alcohol? I need some. <laughs> like, uh, uh, it's like Calgon and Calgon and Bartles and James take me away. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way because there's always the next paper and the next yeah. and the next. I uh, believe me, I'm friends with a lot of teachers. I know for sure. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, the, that went on for a long time, and then, as all things, the story was finally ended. Yes. And then, I mean, for some reason, you decided to you know, step away from fan fiction to do some novel writing. Shocking! I know. It was, uh, and I've I've had people who asking me why I'm still not doing fan fiction, and the answer to that simply is is that I can't really publish that. I can't make money off of that. I can't you know do anything with somebody else's intellectual property. And it, I've always wanted to be an author in my own right. I've always wanted to be able to tell people the stories that are running around in my head. So it was time. And indeed, that's pretty much that brings us to the gist of why we're here. You went and wrote something else, didn't you? I know. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, well, our listeners will forgive you, I'm sure. Well, I hope that they will. So, but you have currently a you've written a, a new novel that you are planning to self-publish. Uh, I have a self-published it to Kindle at this point in time. So now it is time to do the uh, merchandising dance. Please, it is out there. Go buy it. It's really good. Well, before we get to like, <laughs> what, first, what exactly should our listeners go out and buy? 
Uh, it is the first book of a trilogy. Uh, the, the trilogy is called The Saga of Edda Earth. Um, for those of you who, well, a, a few of your readers will probably already know this, but the Eddas are the uh, the epics that were written in, by the Norse way back in the day. And so you can tell that there's probably an affiliation there. The first book is called The Valkyrie. Probably a connection there, too. Um, the world is an alternate Earth. I pride myself on not just being history with the serial numbers filed off, because the breakpoint of difference is way back with Julius Caesar not being assassinated. Rome never fell. The entire shape of human history is therefore different. So you're not going to find somebody with the name of Leonardo da Vinci running around in a Renaissance period, because there was no Renaissance period. There was no medieval period. There were no Dark Ages. But oh. so little things like that, and also all the gods are real, and magic and science coexist. So it's great fun. Oh man! So what, no War of the Roses, no nope. Richard the Third, man. Nope. nope. Oh man! So I, I make, man when I want to read history, I don't want to read a fanciful, awesome take on it. <laughs> well, then I'm sorry oh. that you'll just have to go someplace else. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm actually familiar with the Eddas, and strangely enough, because I play Skyrim, and they go a lot into that. Yeah, they do. <laughs> but, okay, so, all right, alternate Earth, uh, Rowan never fell, uh, so can you tell us, like, what, is it set in, like, the contemporary year, or? It is set, well, again, because Julius Caesar happened to not have, you know, died, we do not have uh, a calendar that is quite like ours. It is similar, but all the dates are come from the date of his ascension as Imperator of Rome. So the the start of the story is 1955 AC, which would be equivalent approximately to, one, uh, to 1910 AD. So we're about, oh, nice. we're about 44 years offset. Nice. Okay. And uh, it's like, so can you give us any any spoilers here? Any hints to this? Uh, to what the ongoing story is, or do we uh, basically uh, we we start in a world that's somewhat similar to our own. We have energy in the form of lay power, which is you know cosmic strings. So that's what powers a lot of the world, as opposed to necessarily electricity. There are some parts of the world that are on on electric grid. So, um, and. The one rule that Rome has enforced throughout, you know, 2,000 years has been there will be no human sacrifice. You guys in all these little, you know, provinces, you you guys can worship your own gods. Nobody's allowed to, you know, try and convert anybody else's people because the gods get a little bit snippy about that. Since that's their power base, they, they might be a little bit offended if you try to convert somebody. But you guys can worship whatever god you want so long as you worship Rome's gods too and you don't kill killing each other. No human sacrifice. And then we open with... A human sacrifice. Some somebody has gone. Oh. Somebody has gone and broken the rules. And so we have a propraetor of Rome and his lictors. The lictors are his bodyguards, and basically equivalent to uh, the Human Secret Service, but also to the FBI as well, because they do serve a lot of different functions in the Praetorian Guard. Um, and they have to go and prevent that. And as they've prevented it, the shaman who was conducting the sacrifice taunts the propraetor with his dying breath, do you know where your gods are? I have just saved my people. Wow. Okay. So wh nice. where do we go from there? The mystery goes on. Yeah, so so it starts out with a oops, you done screwed up in the eyes of the gods type thing. Mm, you done screwed up in the eyes of man and gods, but yes. Oh, okay, yeah, gods are bad, but yeah, I've seen, I've heard what the Romans do to people. Yeah, that could be, that could be bad could be too. Yeah, it could be uncomfortable. All right. 
I have to say, I don't think I, re- I don't recall any kind of story written like this. I do read a lot of fantasy too. Mm-hmm. So that sounds, yeah, sounds pretty. Sounds like okay. I'll say say once again. Sounds like something I would pick up because I I love Rome. Well, I hope that you do. I hope you, when you do, you'll enjoy it. All right, and uh, so once again, you are like so. Any no like so. Right now, there's no plans to uh, have a uh, printed copy of this yet. Well, at this point in time, no. Uh, unfortunately, I looked at doing Create Space, and Create Space is a very nice service, but I would basically have to pay up front. And I haven't really gotten into the whole Kickstarter thing and everything like that. And my fan base is, was, was, was very nice to me during the fanfiction era, but a lot of them haven't really heard very much about it since then. So I'm just trying to build up a little bit of brand recognition now. And then once I get enough reviews, hopefully on Amazon, I'll start resubmitting this to the formal, you know, the traditional print houses and see if any of them get back to me. Okay, cool. I mean, I'll just, you know, to, to pimp kickstarter because they've been very good to us uh, my friend ross has published quite a few books now on kickstarter and uh say so if you want we can totally give you some advice i would on that. love that i would really appreciate that actually i'm yeah, very if, much a noob at this so yeah well actually we uh and once again ross would not forgive me if i didn't mention it we just finished our last kick latest kickstarter which is a scenario for, for a his superhero game called base raiders mm-hmm. so uh and I actually I'm I'm contributing to this as well. So, but yeah, if yeah, in the future, yeah, we definitely I think we'd like to see the a, other problem that I had with with, with Create Space, which again, it's a great service. I'm I'm not denigrating them in the slightest. It's just that um, I, I write rather weighty tomes. They're they're they're, they're long. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I apologize for that, but the story is the story. So the first book would actually fit within their print recommendations and print guidelines, if I you know block space it which is fine, which I can do. The second, I would have to split in half, and the third, I can't split in half, and it would be well in excess of what they were able to do. So I'd have to think about that very heavily, how I would set that up. But there are little technical things that I wasn't aware of when I was writing the book. I was just writing a story. I had no idea that there were all these requirements and guidelines, and it's it's stress and pressure. (laughs) Yeah, I, I took a, I, did, I took a novel writing uh, course a while back, and they said the easiest thing to do is write it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've gathered that. Yeah. Then there's everything else. There's it, it's it's definitely a stressful process. Um, I figured, okay, well, I'll just you know go the traditional route at first, and I sent it off to tour, and I started sending it off to various uh, agents and whatnot as well. So because agents you know eat lunch with the publishers, they can you know say, hey, I found a really great one. You should take a look at this. Don't just don't just leave this one sitting in your slush pile somewhere. And then I realized that in the wonderful world of the internet, and believe me, I love the internet. The internet has been very good to me. Um, your email goes into a black hole and the agents will never, ever, ever get back to you. you. You have no idea if they've even received it, if it's gone into their spam box, anything like that. And the actual manuscript that I mailed off, they said I had a three to four month wait before I'd hear anything. And if you haven't heard back in six months, you should probably resubmit since we probably lost it. At the six month mark, I decided, okay, I'd really like to get my story out there and get people to be able to read it. So that's why I decided to go to the Kindle route. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've never heard. I have a lot of friends writing books saying that 
actual publishers are somewhat becoming obsolete. I yeah, I think we're at basically a watershed moment. We're sort of like where we were in the Renaissance. When the Renaissance, we were moving from just the the, the, the handwritten manuscripts, and they were out there were only if the the few, the select, the elite could get into having them in their homes. And then we had the advent of the print, and then we had all these different levels of print where we had the folios and the the, the folios were the high-end ones, and then we had the quartos, which were the pages were folded up many more times, and that, that was made it a lot to be a lot cheaper. They were basically the equivalent of the hardbound and the softback of our era. And so then we move on into the 20th century, and we have the, the again the big divide between the softbound and the hardback. The hardback means you've arrived. The folio meant that you were had arrived as a writer. And then, and then these days, we're sort of. A lot of people are moving towards the self-publishing and the electronic publishing, and eventually just having a physical book will mean that you have arrived. That Maybe in the far, far, far future, that won't even be that much of a divide anymore. Maybe that won't be the, the mark of credibility anymore, and I kind of hope that that won't be. But there's also something to be said with by looking at my bookshelves, they're groaning with other people's works. It'd be really nice to have one of my own up there. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone... I. Everyone would love to see their name. I love to see my name on stuff, no matter how small it is. Exactly. It's, like, it's it's good to stroke your own ego. It, it, come on, you need it. Yeah. <laughs> and my God, a, yeah, a hardbound book with your name, like by the, you know, by me. It, oh, it, it it would be very gratifying, but you know, it may not happen. So we'll see. Yeah, I haven't. I, and I I've heard it from other writers that it's very nice to because uh, it used to be you published it's would say like well we don't think our readers would be interested in this like mm-hmm. well, why don't you why why is like well why don't you let the readers decide exactly which is why the marketplace has become such a wonderful thing for that because if you can say hey look i've got this many reviews on amazon and they're they're, they're not just by my friends because i I might not have that many friends, um, <laughs> but, but there's 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 a number of people out there who seem to be enjoying it. Why don't you take another look? Yeah, definitely, and uh, certain and certainly, uh, yeah, being able to search by subject now, like you know, that's a help like, too. Oh my, you can actually I can actually look and like. So, but I can actually now type in, I guess, uh, in, you know, ancient Rome, alternate history, magic. Oh my God, there it is. Really. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You're not just putting me on, are you? No, no, not at all. I, I, it's that's a, that's a topic I would totally just type in. I mean, okay, granted, I might have to be, you know, this would probably be something late at night that would be like, <laughs> yeah. like, like okay, let me just see if I like throw to, like Patton Oswalt had actually said, you ever just type in the most random things and like he said like Hitler poop and oh, he got sixteen hundred things. I actually did type in something because I was making a point the other day about there. There's going to be a fan fiction on everything. It's like a corollary. It's a corollary to Rule Thirty Four. I think there's got to be a fan oh, fiction yeah. on everything. And just to you know prove to myself that there was a fan fiction and everything. I typed in My Little Pony and Halo, and lo and behold, there was a fan fiction on that. I did not oh, read yeah. <laughs> No, it's one of those things like, okay, I've discovered something. This is going to be a sanity check <laughs> if I open this thing. No. Precisely. And uh, I didn't really feel good about my, about my, about my stats in that regard, that, that particular juncture. No, that's one of those things you'd have to, I think you'd have to ask yourself some hard questions <laughs> about your life. Okay, so anyway, anyway, to your book, I actually first want to know, like, uh, how did how do you handle magic in it? Is it like, yeah, you know, like I guess it more is it like D and D magic, or is it more like uh, like Game of Thrones? Um, it type? is. Uh, I actually. I'm trying to remember the name of the system. Um, a friend of mine had been 
recommending it as as a basis and just just as as am i still here yeah, okay. you're still here. I, I, I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's okay. I was trying to click on the wrong thing. <sighs> All right. Anyways, it uh, doesn't really matter what the, what the name of the system was. It was just basically a a starting point for various powers. It was basically a superheroes type uh, types type game, and basically I settled down and I wanted to have a very realistic feeling sort of magic. I wanted the sorcerers, the techno mages, in this particular setting have to do the they have to do the math basically the mm-hmm. back in the say the 18th century they still had fireball spells but a modern techno mage kind of laughs at them because they're notoriously inaccurate they they can be between you know 6 inches and 25 feet in diameter and you want a little precision when you're you know dealing with things so they have worked in math a, a, a professional technomancer winds up studying physics they wind up studying chemistry. They wind up studying all these things and they work on redirecting energy. They, the, the, one of the main characters is Canmius Munazar and he is strongly against traditional magic. He says that if, you, if, you've, if you're only looking at four elements, air, fire, earth, and water, you've kind of ignored the fact that there are quite a few more in the periodic table and that science has moved on since the ancient Greeks. So he, he works with energy redirection, he works with gravity, he works with all kinds of different things. There's a different subset of magic, which is lay, lay magic. Lay magic works from the lay lines, but again, lay lines are basically just the macro version of cosmic strings. So they're working with that to influence the world around them. If they're close to a ley line, they, they are better off. If they are far away from it, they have to work with just ambient energy, so they're weaker. So it depends on whether they're near a resonating line, an interconnected line, things like that. So we, we work with that. And then there is a third subset of magic, which is summoning. There is an another universe beyond ours, which we refer to as the veil, and that is from the, the realm from which all spirits, all gods come from. And if you... And because it is an aentropic space, it is a space in which there there is no entropy, there is limitless energy, but the spirits there also have no time. So they are in a timeless space, so they come to our world because they kind of want to have interaction, they want to learn things, they want to grow. And in their, in their universe, because there is no causality, they cannot learn, they cannot grow, they can never change. So they come to our universe for learning, basically, for experience, for, for, the, for the risk of death. Uh, brother, can you spare some knowledge? Precisely. So, uh, by uh, growing in complexity, they wind up generally becoming more powerful, and they're they're able to go back to their own realm and not get devoured all the time. So, it's a good thing. <laughs> I asked about the, yeah, I asked about the magic because you know I've I've heard people say it's magic. You need to be careful because if you have a mage that can vaporize an army with a spell, why would you have armies? Well, precisely. That's one of the things that uh, as, as magic developed in, in tandem with science, sometimes science lagged because magic got ahead. And sometimes science had to play catch up. And that's why they're a little bit behind us in some respects and ahead of us in others in this particular setting. Um, in terms of war because if you have something available you're going to use it if if a weapon is available it's going to be used magic started off being integrated into weapon systems very early on whether it was to refine the 
accuracy of a catapult or to add uh, precision and and uh, power and striking power to an arrow. At this point in time, people are starting to add it to bullets, that sort of thing. But they are most most of the most of the countries are lagging behind in terms of pure technology. So there is one area of the world in which science is paramount, and that is Judea, because they do not believe in using magic. So they are the only ones who have assault rifles. <laughs> so it's the little things that are fun. Um, oh yeah. Again, if you ha- you have people on the side of, say, Persia, who are strongly inclined towards using magic, and they tend to like to do summon up a Fritz or, or Genie, and they'll put, put them in a bottle, and just like you would find in Aladdin's cave, but they, you know, drop them with a bomb, so that the, when the Afrit comes, comes out of the shattered uh, bottle, it immediately has a power source from, from the bomb, from the chemical reactions, and it is empowered, and it goes on a rampage on the other side of the wall. So it, 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 it's fun. And nice. some, some of the, some of the uh, I don't necessarily want to spoiler too much for some of the later books, but you'll see some of the tactics that you see in the modern world, you know, suicide bombers, that sort of thing with magic type effects so it's uh it, it, it can be grittily realistic in, yeah. in a fantasy world but you know without dragging you too much through the dirt i hope oh my, yeah oh my yeah magic magical suicide bombers that's yeah that's an image it's in my head now yeah <laughs> unfortunately yeah <laughs> but right, i share it freely actually, with you oh thank you uh, th- th- uh, th- thank you for thank you for the doom. I like that. Uh, also, uh, which brings up another point. Uh, since you mentioned Efridi, Af- uh, so are there actually like monsters in this? Is that you know what you're going for? Interestingly enough, almost every type of monster started off as a human. That's that, that's about par for the course. Yeah, uh, and you, you you don't really see too many of them develop in the first book, but by the second book, you will definitely be seeing more in the way of monsters. You'll see lindworms, which are small dragons, in the second book. You'll see uh, Fenris wolves in the second book. You'll see a lot of other distorted types of humanity after that. But in the first book, you won't see too many in too much in the way of actual monsters, other than other than spirits that have been summoned and have incarnated. Nice. Okay. Uh, well, I, okay. So, I think we got a pretty good idea of what kind of what you're going for here. Uh, we got some questions from other people that w- were you know, put to well, they were put to Facebook. I think you know. Okay. I think you know which ones I'm referring okay. to. Some of the, and some of them I think are pretty good. So uh, I'll see if I can answer them without stuttering too much. Okay. So I like this one. Um, which of the character your, your characters do you identify with most strongly? All of them. Um, honestly, in order to write, I, it, it's, it's, it's an exercise in role-playing for me. I completely enter their viewpoint while I'm writing them. And sometimes they tell me things that I had planned in the plot are stupid. And I really shouldn't do them. That they would never do that at all. And what was I thinking? And I say, okay, I'm going to shut up and just tell you, write what you tell me to write. Um, in terms of emotional content, I suppose that probably the main character, Sigrun... Uh, the actual Valkyrie of the of the title, I do emp- mm-hmm. I do empathize with her a lot. In terms of who I'd be if I were in that universe, I'd probably actually be a character you'd meet much later in book one, and that's Minori Sasaki. Uh, she is a she's an engineer and scientist and uh, 
a sorceress and she does the math and she is constantly thinking and writing and teaching and she, she, she she's she's quiet overall but she doesn't mind an argument and she'll, she'll fight for what she believes in so I really like her as well um, I like all my male characters I've got pretty good feedback on all of them too so I, 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 I emphasize and empathize and am strongly attached to all of them and if I feel that I have to kill them for purposes of plot, I am very sad. So, They're, they're, they're your babies, they right? They are very much so. Yeah. Uh, there's another one here, which I think, uh, like, you know, uh, what inspired you to write this story? Now, you know, from the fanfic I read years ago, I could tell that, okay, I, I, I could tell some of the things you were interested in, and I'm seeing some of them in the themes of this story, mm-hmm. too. Well, let's see. I, I've, I've always been interested in history. Uh, obviously, I, since I specialized in the medieval and renaissance periods, that's what I formally studied. But I've always been interested in Rome and ancient Greece as well. And one of the truisms that people will always trot out is that, you know, if Rome had never fallen, we'd be on Mars by now. And yes and no, that's that's possible. We wouldn't have lost as much of the technology that they had, and that we w- might not have lost some, a lot of the writing and that and so on. But that's always been a truism that I've gone. Okay, so what would the world look like if we hadn't ha- had Rome fall? If 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 all the things that had gone on hadn't gone on, what would the world look like? That's always been at the back of my head. And when I was coming to the end of writing *Spirit of Redemption*, I ran into. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Wikipedia is wonderful because you you link to link to link to link, and you find wonderful things that you might not have ever heard of before, and it's, it can inspire ideas for you. And I like to I, I synthesize very well. So when 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 I put one idea next to another idea, a third idea comes out of it, and I go, "Oh, hey, that's cool." And in this particular case, I happen to run into a. Uh, ritual that was came out of Pawnee uh, Pawnee Society back in the um, well, pretty much before the advent of uh, white people coming to this uh, continent, and it went, extended up until uh, 1838, in which they would sacrifice a young girl after a, a man of the tribe had had a dream and had seen her, and the, the, the morning star had demanded her sacrifice. So they would, you know, take her captive from another tribe, and they'd. String her up, and they would, you know, shoot arrows at her, which was supposed to be the reenactment of the rape of the evening star by the morning star, and it was to protect the people, and it was to bring, you know, life back to the soil and everything like that. And it was strongly discouraged when the, when uh, the colonists started moving into the plains. And I just looked at that, and I went, because I always am thinking about Rome and things like that. I was thinking and looking at that going, Rome would never stand for that. If Rome, if, Rome, if Rome were on these shores, Rome would not have really liked that. They would have stomped on that pretty hard. And I just sort of put that to the back of my mind because Rome really, really, really didn't like human sacrifice. And mm-hmm. um, then a few months after that, again, as I'm writing almost the last couple of chapters of Spirit of Redemption, uh, a friend of mine named Nathan Middleman, was going to participate in National uh, November Writing Month thing, and I was kind of encouraging him. And he was asking me if I would come up with a setting that he could, you know, do as a cameo because he wanted to do a world in which a lot, lots of different settings had, you know, filtered into. I said, well, you, you, you could have one character of mine as, as a cameo, and this would be the type of world that she came from. And he said, oh, I can't take that setting from you. I'm like, oh, no, no, you wouldn't take that setting from me. You could mention it but you wouldn't be taking that setting from me. I'll write that setting. And so he then he asked me, would there be magic in that setting? I said, you know what? I never really thought about there being magic in that setting before, but you know what? Sure, I'll put magic in there. <laughs> and off to the races we are. 
and here we are now. Nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, do you think the Romans would clamp down harder on that than the conquistadors did? Mm, the conquistadors didn't actually run around crucifying anyone, so um, they, 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 no, they, they, they just introduced no hor- horrible diseases, mostly inadvertently, yeah. and like and that. did do quite a bit of you know slavery and icky stuff like that. But there wasn't so much with the crucifixion. Yeah, I was like, we don't need no crucifixion. We got smallpox. <laughs> well, yes, I'm pretty that 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 did spread in Edda as well, but not nearly as badly because they had much better sanitation practices because the Romans were kind of big on baths. Yeah, so I'd imagine like uh, so I, okay. Here's a question. Uh, another question I I have. Um, when you're writing, you know, alternate history, do you also have to take into account what the things that would not have changed? Yeah, absolutely, you do. Um, when basically I sat down with a big long uh timeline and i decided what wh- what would have changed and what wouldn't have changed and when you when you start with something so far back in time all the ramifications ripple forward and you have to consider all the the second level and third level uh things that c- could change because that other thing changed so that that becomes kind of a kind of a fun game it's like it's, i i've described it as playing the world's best game of civ actually <laughs> oh yeah because uh, Thank you, Sid Meier. Yes, exactly. Um, but there are many things that didn't necessarily have to change because people are still going to need to develop certain technologies. When you, you have to have a, to have a semi-modern society, you pretty much have to have some sort of a power grid. You, it may, you might not have it running on electricity, but you have to have something that the the reader will understand as make, making things work, making things run. Um, to have a semi-modern society that is recognizable to the reader, you're probably going to need to have vehicles that are not necessarily, you know, dr- drug around by horses. So you're going to need to have motor cars of some sort, yeah. or like distant communications. Distant communications, thing. things. Like, the, the the amenities of modern life are important, but since I was able to start basically in what is their year, 1955, or you know, 1910, they're a little ahead of our curve in some respects because again, Rome didn't fall, but in others, it's should feel when depending on which area of the world you're in either you know on par with you know the 1920s and 1930s depending on how far behind the technological curve they are in some areas they're they're already you know getting up into space because you have a couple of countries that are very strongly oriented towards science and they said okay well that's what's next let's go up there and so they started heading for that Okay, and of course, you know, like, and I'm, you're pretty sure plague rats would probably arrive in Constantinople at some point. And... Um, actually, we had most of those being concentrated on boats, and since the Romans, instead of it coming overland as much, when, once the Romans noticed, oh, hey, there is a problem in these various port cities, we're going to clamp down on these port cities, and we're not going to, you know, let people out of them, because they had a pretty good understanding of, me- of medicine and plagues transmissions to a certain extent. They didn't really realize it was the rat so much, but they, they had a pretty good fix on health and hygiene. So the, the, I I'm sort of imagine that they wouldn't have quite so much with the black with the black death going through, for example. A lot of it was uh, confined to to actual boats that just wound up being ghost ghost ships that were fl- floating around the Mediterranean. And when, by the time they actually hit hit land, there was nobody left alive on them, which actually did happen a few times in history. Pretty eerie. Yeah, you know. But what are you gonna do? It's there. Sometimes he just has some ghost ships. Exactly. 
And uh, also another question. Well, this one I think was you. I was already answered, but you know, should we expect other works from you in the future? And you mentioned you planning this as a trilogy, right? Uh, the trilogy is actually written. I just have to uh, get the art done for the various covers. I'm currently working on a couple of. Uh, novellas and short stories that would basically extend out past the end of the trilogy because people have been asking me, so what happens next? I'm also plotting out a novel that is a prequel. So, yeah, there's pl- pl- plenty, of oh. other, plenty of other stuff to be done in Edda, and I have uh, ideas for various other universes that I've been playing in my head since I was about 18, so I need to work on those as well. But th- they have to do all the merchandising dance, and th- that sort of takes away from writing time. It's distressing. Yeah, it's uh, it's mostly marketing, but hey, you so you you can kind of go like like well, this is a good story. I mean, do you have anything else planned? Like, uh, I got two more already done. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, let's and uh, I, okay, so I think uh, I think we pretty I pretty much got like a, got a pretty good idea of what's going on here of magic and alternate history with rome with rome and spirits and monsters rome spirits monsters um gods uh science uh chaos theory um all kinds of stuff all all rolled together in one book well i'm three actually but you know i have to get people started on the first one first okay um, actually, I think I should. You know, we've. I think we touched a little on this, but I'll, I think we had great, another uh, question. Like, uh, any advice for people who are trying to self-publish our books? Well, in terms of just the writing, sit down and write. Do it. Uh, start. Start with. Start with a loose outline. Don't be married to your outline because the characters are eventually going to tell you that the outline's dumb, anyways. Um, don't don't get bogged down in over-researching things and. Don't 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 think that a paragraph or two a day is 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 enough. I, I I've had a lot of people who will you know write a couple of paragraphs and say, hey, I did this, and I go, that that's really good. Where's the rest of it? And they say, oh, I, I'm not really in a in a writing mood right now. And I think that Frank Herbert, the guy who wrote Dune, was he's he's really my 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 signpost on this. He said he because he said that he saw no qualitative difference between stuff that he wrote on days that he felt like writing and days that he sat down and said, "Okay, I've got 20 pages to write. I'm going to write them." He saw no difference in quality at all between those two. So he figured he may as well just sit down and write. And yeah, that, that that's, that's pretty much my gu- that's been my my guidepost ever since. Yeah, not being in a writing mood, that's pretty much kind of code for I just don't really want to do anything right now. Yeah, I, 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 there's, there's something kind of I'm sort of staring at on TV, or I'd, I'd, I'd really rather go play Skyrim. And don't get me wrong, there are many times when I'd really rather go play Skyrim, but, you know, sometimes you got to write. Yeah, I got 1,500 hours in that game. Don't I know about it. Ugh. I, 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 I just started it over, you know, a couple, couple of months ago when I got to the end of draft six of Edda, I want to say. <laughs> and I was really enjoying it. Unfortunately, I'm starting to have the same problem that I have with like first-person shooters, is that after a certain amount of time playing it, I get a nauseous headache, and so I didn't really get back to it. I'm 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 somewhere probably on a mountainside covered in snow doing something for the thieves guild, so I'll have to get back to it at some point. Oh yeah, man that that is that that is a time hole that game. Yeah, a lot of them are. I also I I, I like I, I I didn't quite finish Oblivion because I was trying to do all the different quests for the uh, for the guilds first, and 
I just didn't quite get through it because by the time I got back to playing it, I realized it's moving too fast. It gives me a headache because I had maxed out my speed and no, no, can't do it anymore. So, and this is always a question, but my experience that you've helped, you've helped me with is for writing, actually accept critique from other people. I I try to, it it, it is sometimes difficult because, you know, an, an ego this big did not get that way overnight, but, um, you, you do have to accept critique and you try, have to try to do it gracefully. I try to give good critique to people who ask for it, but I, I'm not, I know I'm not a gentle reviewer because I've been doing it for a long time and I've been a teacher for a long time. So I try to find something good and to, to weigh out things that are you know maybe not as good or need some work, but sometimes that's harder to find than others. Yeah, I mentioned that because I, you know, I have you've reviewed some of my stuff, and you've actually been very, very honest in it, which I actually appreciate. I, I'm, I'm glad that you accepted it so gracefully. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, it is. I mean, it's hard to have someone say something not flattering about your baby. But... I know, it's it, it is very difficult, and it, it, it depends on if it's maliciously intended or not maliciously intended. If it's somebody who you know is just who who wants to help you make it better. That, that's one thing. I can accept that with with a song in my heart. And sometimes I will disagree with them, and I'll explain why they are not perhaps understanding that word that they think is wrong. And then they, they either go, oh, you're right, or they you know go silent because this is the internet. But um, the ones who are maliciously intended, those are the hardest really to, to, to deal with. And finally, you just have to you know move past it because there, there are people who will just, you know, Say say mean things, just say mean things, because that's what they get their joy out of somehow. Yeah, somebody, it's like you know that's that's all that gets them up in the morning. Yeah, well, and that means that they have a you know kind of a sad life. So. Yeah. So anyway, I think I think that about covers it. Uh, any uh, any final words you uh, you feel you 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 would like to have? I really hope that everybody who reads it enjoys it. Indeed. Uh, so the the uh, book is Edda Earth. It's actually the Valkyrie. The Valkyrie. The Valkyrie. And it's part, it, of part, the... part one of the saga of Edda Earth, yes. Yes, awesome. All right, so yeah, I, we will have the link up Ooh. when we uh, when we post this. Fantastic. And also, and also we're going to include some of the artwork, which uh, the art, especially the cover art is just awesome. She's, she's amazing. I'm, <clears> I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pleased that she was willing to do the commission for me. So she's going to continue and do the cover for both of the next two as well, so... Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's. I think the yeah the cover art really sells it. I, I, I'm sure. really hoping so because I, I again you look at a lot of Kindle books and they have the you know, create your own cover and you know sometimes it kind of shows. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in this particular case, she is a phenomenal artist, and I just want to. I, I believe I've linked to her art a few times, but. Um, her name is Elizaveta Gokoeva. She is from Ukraine, and she does phenomenal work. She has a deviant art gallery, and I would love to give you the link to that as well, so people can go Excellent. enjoy her art because she is just phenomenal. Excellent. We will definitely post that. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, this is uh, right, this is Tom Church with Role Playing, Role Playing Public Radio, and I've been speaking to Deborah Devitt. Indeed. So th- check out the book. It is definitely going to be worth your time and money. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you Thank having you. me on. Thank you. Have a nice, have a good day, all.